Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network Podcast. This is acting as a bit of a wash-up for our marketing and the marginalised deep dive. If you haven't read every article that we've written over the last couple of weeks about how the industry is failing and succeeding in marketing to marginalised communities, then please do go to thedrum.com and check that out. But in this episode, we're talking with three absolute experts about what their experience of marketing to the marginalised has been both from a creator's point of view and from a consumer's point of view. To begin with, I asked them all to introduce themselves. And to begin with then, I wondered if you could introduce yourselves to our audience. So Victoria, if you want to go first. Yeah, of course. Hello, Um, I'm Victoria Day. I am Managing Director uh, at Ogilvy uh, in UK, uh, an integrated uh, marketing communication agency. And Abigail? Hi, I'm Abigail and I'm a senior producer within the creative organic social team at Jellyfish um, and an award-winning full service media agency. Um, I joined Jellyfish as part of the social life acquisition um, a couple of ago and before that I was social life full-time member of staff over seven years ago. I'm also an author illustrator and my first book, A Different Sort of Normal, is my illustrated true story about growing up as a queer undiagnosed autistic person and that was published by Penguin in July this year Um, and I've got another book about autism coming out for younger children next year. Nice, fantastic, congratulations on getting the book published, that's that's great, I'm so jealous. Last but not least rather, Thomas. Uh, Hi there. My name is Thomas Dell. I'm the managing director and founder of Got to Be Ethnic. Uh, we're an award-winning multicultural marketing agency uh, that helps brands to reach out to the hard-to-reach communities across the UK and Ireland. So to begin with then, Victoria, if we can start with you, we've heard from people like Purple Goats, Martin Sibley, about the power of the purple pound effectively for brands. So does our industry still tend to think that there are kind of marginalised communities that are an afterthought for them that aren't kind of central and uh, built into the marketing strategy from the beginning? I wish it weren't so, but yes, they are still an afterthought. That is the the uncomfortable truth, I would say. Um, And um, I think um, brands and and the agencies that work with them have got better at uh, putting people from different areas and minorities and more diversity into their adverts let's say so visually they may be more represented but I'm not at all convinced that they are represented in a meaningful way in that I'm not sure it's driven by insight about people's lived experience Mm. there certainly isn't enough anywhere near enough diversity in terms of the people who work in agencies in production companies in uh, and are making the work and therefore again you know how can it be truly representative and 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 so yeah I'm afraid I I think there's a bit of kind of um you know uh uh people appearing to be more diverse but without being without really putting in the hard work and what, what it really takes to make it so well, that, that absolutely tracks with what we've seen over the course of our Marketing the Marginalised deep dive. Um, and so, Abigail, then I wondered what you thought about that. Does the industry still tend to think about marginalised communities as being an afterthought to them? Yes, uh, I agree. Um, and speaking as a queer autistic person who doesn't necessarily fit a lot of the stereotypes of autism, I have personally felt excluded by advertising, TV and brands. 
Um, I've never really seen my experience of life on screen or books or products until quite recently when I've joined mm. various online communities. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember reading in campaign recently that disabled people actually make up the biggest minority group in the world, but they are still by far the most unrepresented. Um, and speaking from a TV angle here, because that's where most of my experiences are within the industry, um, like not only are disabled people underrepresented here, but there are also times where non-disabled people are writing their scripts and casting mm -hmm. their roles, which is also a really problematic thing. Like, for example, this year there was an uproar within the autistic community when a neurotypical non-disabled actor was cast to play an autistic girl in Sears movie music. Yeah. And for me, it was like watching a school bully act disabled to mock a disabled classmate. And there was this idea that, oh, it would have been too stressful for an actual non-verbal autistic person to play the role, but that's excluding the community right from the start and making judgments based on stereotypes. And mm. um, at the time, their autistic influencers were taking to social media to write essays across Instagram and about why this was not okay. And those actual autistic people were having to take huge breaks from social media to recover from the stress of not only being invalidated, but also having to argue with these non-autistic social media trolls who liked the film. But none of that should have been allowed to happen in the first place. Um, but then there were shows that are doing it right, like uh, Sex Education, which is one of the shows we manage at Jellyfish uh, with the social nice. media. And like the portrayal of the character Isaac, um, in that show who became disabled after an accident, like the show rewrote the character based on the actor's disability and the writers included the actor in the creative process using his own experiences to inform the storyline. And like the feedback there from the, from the uh, disability community was that it was really refreshing to see someone comfortable within themselves and not questioning their existence. Like a disabled person with flaws in, in that role and his storyline contrasts with a lot of the kind of lazy disability narrative mm. popular culture. Um, yeah, and I, I think like disability represent, representation doesn't just come down to seeing disabled characters on screen or in marketing materials. Uh, so Thomas, then what's the, I suppose, the cause of that, of, I suppose, you know, as, as callous as it sounds, of people being an afterthought when it comes to mass marketing? I mean, when we speak into uh, various ethnic minorities, they're always telling us that they feel underrepresented in today's marketing from the perspective that um, that there is not enough inclusivity. Um, uh, it's changing, it's getting better, but I think it's still uh, taking a little bit longer than we would want to anticipate. But as both Victoria and Abigail said, um, it's not just a tick box exercise. It can't just be done for the sake of doing it. It needs mm. to be really embedded into the whole body and uh, the whole thing, both of the agency side of things, as well as also from the perspective of the brand. Um, and it's it's nice to see this changing, but it's still a long way to go before uh, I think our research will prove that uh, people actually feel represented. Uh, there are some brands that are doing better than others, um, and it's been noted uh, very well. I mean, we've seen likes of Sainsbury's, we've seen Tesco's, 
um, typically the, the sort of the, the retailer supermarkets are, are the ones that are really uh, empowering and sort of pushing this through. Uh, but equally, you know, their charities, um, sort of non-profit organizations are doing their best to, to ensure that they uh, are inclusive from all aspects, not just from the perspective of ethnicity, but also from the perspective of uh, disability, but also equally from um, representing the LGBTQ plus community and so on. Um, so I think we're getting there, but it will still be uh, a sort of a topic, uh, a hot topic, I shall say, uh, for the next few months uh, or years even, uh, when we're going to be bringing this conversation around the ethnicity and, and BAME representation, multicultural marketing mm. over and over again. Right. Okay. So, yeah, there's so much there which we can touch upon again, um, but I suppose that you know before we get into some of those examples, you mentioned supermarkets of people who are doing it right. I wondered, Victoria, is there a sense within the industry that we are aware that there are commercial imperatives as well as kind of ethical and moral reasons to be more representative and kind of more inclusive in our marketing? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, there are commercial imperatives, um, but uh, in, what I would say is interesting. So Sainsbury's is one of our mm. clients. Um, and um, what you are seeing more and more as an agency is that uh, the good clients, the clients who are driving change, are making it a mandate to the agencies mm. that you have meet certain standards and that you have initiatives in place. Now, you know, you could argue, and I, and I would, that, you know, it shouldn't take that, you know, that to make an agency change but and, and I'm not saying it does in all cases I think some agencies are really trying to change you know some production companies are really trying to change but you definitely see that 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 commercial imperative coming through which is that you know if you want to work for us you're going to have to to show us that you are inclusive um and I think that's great I mean why and why shouldn't they why shouldn't they demand uh, that people meet certain standards um I think I think that's a really good thing um in terms of the value of the kind of you say like the purple pound or whatever I think this that's such a blind spot for mm. many brands and 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 industries I, I I as you say you know as Abigail said that the, 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 you know, the, the biggest minority group, an enormous number of people have some kind of disability in the UK or in the world, doesn't seem to be factored into people's thinking when they're looking, you know, and they're thinking about how you sort of look at audiences and segments and how you break out demographics. I never see that. I never mm. see that, that, that demographic being pulled out. You sometimes see race being pulled out. Um, but in a very uh, blunt way, yeah. I would say. So, yeah, I was going to say, again, it, not, it's, you know, it's it pulled out to illustrate fame, itself. Mm. But, you know, and it's like, okay, well, that is such an enormous group of people that to suggest that they all have characteristics in common is just a, a nonsense. See, something there that I think is really interesting you mentioned is this idea that the commercial imperatives actually come from kind of the brands themselves. And, you know, that they want to see their values reflected in the agencies they work with. So, Thomas, mm. when it's, is that something that you've kind of seen yourself is kind of the, these brands wanting to include people more and that kind of filtering all the way through to kind of production side and agency side? 
Absolutely. Um, we've we certainly seen more and more brands wanting to uh, open up to this uh, idea of uh, multicultural marketing. And with that in mind, they're looking for experts, they're looking for people who have got experience. And this is why um, they're sort of coming to specialist agencies like ourselves, uh, because we're made up of people who come from different walks of life and we can share experiences. Uh, we have got a sort of insight to the culture, uh, but also understanding of how different communities uh, buy, but at the same time, um, look at certain things. I mean, uh, everyone's different in, in a way that's how we buy, how we shop and where we go. So some customers will go and uh, shop in multiples, others will only go and shop in, in their sort of local ethnic stores, etc. cetera. Uh, so it's about being able to advise customers in terms of where do you need to position your product? Where is it best to advertise? I mean, um, again, you could pick up a metro and say that this is this going to go to everybody and uh, I have got a huge opportunity in terms of, you know, no matter whether that's a purple pound I'm targeting or whether that's a grey pound or whether that's a, uh, you know, a brown or black pound, uh, you know, metro is read by everybody. But unfortunately, mm. uh, it's not the case. I mean, a lot of uh, ethnic minorities would read their own publications, uh, which again, probably somebody like yourself or, or Victoria won't necessarily pick up because A, they're, they're a different language and B, they're not really applicable to you mm -hmm. so it's being able to understand where to go for certain elements and i think uh that's why certain agencies specialize in, in certain sectors um because they have got that experience and everything else and whilst building my team i've always wanted to ensure that not only we have got uh, representatives from different groups but equally we have got uh, an equal understanding across all of our employees so this is why we do things like lunch uh, lunch and learn um and we share opinions we share uh, sort of indications of of the culture with other team members so they can pick up so if somebody goes off sick or uh, is talking to a client they're able to uh, understand it and be able to advise uh, even on a spot before they even consulting this with a representative um one of the bigger aspects we've also found is being able to uh, um, identify um, community champions and key people of influence mm. that we can go out and uh, if we haven't got the in-house capabilities to be able to actually test and find out more uh, in the market uh, place itself and then you know roll ideas uh, and etc with them in mind so that is always um, something that I would recommend is if you haven't got the in-house capabilities go and look for them because I can rest assured that it's much easier to find than you think. No, absolutely. That's that. I mean, a that's fantastic to hear, but it, it builds so neatly upon what we've heard from all three of you so far. And just before we get into kind of more practical tips about what we can do, Abigail, at the start you mentioned you know that you didn't necessarily feel represented either in terms of media or marketing sometimes. So is there still a blind spot in terms of those those commercial benefits from you know both brands and the agencies who work on their behalf? Yeah, I think there is, and um, I think I, I mean I think people are starting to recognize both the commercial and ethical reasons but at the same time there is also the danger of some brands seeing how conversations are changing and thinking it's trendy or something they have to do to be inclusive so they're going to jump on the trend for commercial reasons and in that way skipping the ethical part altogether and mm. um, companies are going to have to think about how to build communities into marketing plans and that's when it gets a bit icky um however like there are things that marketing and social agencies can be doing to make 
online com- content, etc., more accessible, which doesn't even re- rely on the product itself being inclusive, such as adding alt text to social images mm. so that visually impaired users can better understand images on the screen and writing hashtags in camel case, not lowercase, which assists automated screen readers in reading the hashtag for those with visual reading disabilities and avoiding repeating emojis because screen readers will read the thing out a time and time again. So, and which gets annoying, uh, mm. avoiding ableist language, etc. Um, there's always things that can be done to improve without making the huge changes. Um, even though the huge changes need to be made, but there's always something that brands and uh, agencies can be doing. So then we've all kind of touched upon, you know, supermarkets, people we think are doing really, really well in this, and in, even some of the IPs that were doing it well, like sex education. So Victoria, then why do you think it is, is some of those kind of FMCG brands like the supermarkets that are doing this really well? Is it because they do cater to everybody? Uh, yeah. Probably is, yes. I think because they are mass market brands, so they are for everybody. And I think it, but there's something in there around just the the organisational culture, right? Mm. So um, I think a lot of it will come also from the fact that they have a large number of employees and, you know, that their workforce is diverse. And that is probably where it springs from, actually. And as we know that, you know, the brand, the external manifestation of a brand is driven by the organisational culture and spirit, you know, more often than not, in good or bad ways, right? So, um, yeah, I, I I think it probably, that is the reason, if you look at a supermarket, I think in some of the FMCG companies, I think it is because they do have a very broad base of customers. I think to Abigail's point, maybe I'm not very well qualified to answer. Mm. You know what? Because uh, what might look like a really good portrayal of of somebody to my ignorant eyes might be a really, really cliched and annoying portrayal of somebody if you are actually part of that group. And I mean, I sort of <laughs> went on record uh, uh, about a month ago um, about the fact my son is gay and he watched, a, uh, there was a John Lewis ad on uh, for insurance and, and the character was clearly portrayed as a, as a young uh, gay boy. Mm. Um, and my son sort of said, it just makes me feel like, oh, it's just like, it's a bit, mm, you know, it's just like, it's just a cliche because he's not really camp. And it's like, you know, and he's like wearing sparkly stuff, and you know, and he's like, that's not, <laughs> that's not that how it is. And he's like, that's the problem. You know, he was really humpy about it. He's like, he's 15. He was like, that's what everyone thinks gay people are like, but not all gay people are like, I'm not into glitter. And, blah, blah. <laughs> and, and, and yeah. honestly, that, you know, was enough it spurred a really interesting conversation around our dinner table and it was enough for me to then say write a letter into campaign and just go so you know it was a lesson for me you know of like think more carefully about how you're portraying people because it's so easy to fall into cliche um so I don't know is the answer I fear I, I see people like Lloyd's for example mm. who have very 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 representative in their ads uh, I mean, it's a tough question. I think uh, typically uh, we're seeing that FMCGs and uh, brands uh, such as Unilever uh, or um, even likes of, uh, as I said, the major supermarkets, whether that's uh, Tesco's or Sainsbury's, uh, they tend to do quite well. Um, 
what's interesting, for example, is Asda is very good at uh, sort of partaking in the religious events such as uh, Eid or Ramadan, but they don't seem to come across that in the TV yet. So it's almost like they've got two strategies, one which is the mainstream, let's fit it all and let's make it all nice and clear to everybody. But then we break it down into little aspects and yes, we will do special things for Ramadan. Yes, we will do special things for Eid and so on. So I think that's the other um, sort of company that we've noticed um, that is doing things, but in a way has got an overarching strategy and then underneath of it has got mini uh, to kind of fit in. Um, I think charities are starting to do a better job. Um, Shelter, um, definitely British uh, Heart Foundations. These are the uh, charities that I think have been doing this for quite some time. And Mm. again, not only from the perspective of representations through prints and uh, traditional TV and radio, but also participating in various community events and actually being out there and about, uh, making sure that they're uh, being seen and you know, taking part in as many initiatives as possible. Um, When it comes to uh, brands that are not doing so well, I can definitely say, or sectors that are not doing so well, I can definitely say that uh, likes of the insurances or any sort of utility providers, whether that's um, internet broadband or anything like that, I always think that um, they have got very stereotypical, very product orientated and there's no feel and no um, touch to it. So I think there is a massive opportunity for those companies, both from the purple pound perspective, black pound or the, uh, you know, the, the brown pound, as I said. Um, so whether they're, they're looking to targeting into the sort of disabled or even the LGBTQ plus community. And I can certainly echo what Victoria was saying uh, about sort of certain cliches of things we do, because someone somewhere has kind of said, mm. oh, you know, if, if you're going to be targeting this community, this is what you need to do. And they will all fall in love and they will tick the box. But unfortunately, uh, uh, everyone's different and because you're from that group doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be all we're all going to be the same so it needs to be uh i think one of the key things that needs to be done is take it uh the ad concept the the idea and do a test within that group of people you're going to be targeting because Mm. then you'll get the real insights things that you would have never even thought about um, and that's something that uh, we do very uh, well and we tend to do quite a lot of is actually taking uh, ads and campaigns and run them past the sort of community groups and the, the ambassadors and the key people influence uh, to identify what else can we, can we do, what else could we uh, potentially change or, uh, you know, is a specific wording or things like that that they would prefer to see uh, as opposed to just the general messaging that we would have had. Mm. See, that's that I think that's absolutely fascinating. This idea that it can come from kind of any sector as well. It's just, it just depends on actually having kind of the, the, that mindset and that desire to be more inclusive as well. So, just before we move on to some practical, um, I suppose, tips there, Abigail, is there anybody who you feel is doing kind of that marketing effectively that's either made yourself or people who you've spoken to feel like you're being well and I suppose not cynically marketed at? Mm. Um, I think, well. I suppose before thinking of the best examples, I think it's also important to recognise that sometimes these best examples will actually probably not always be about brands marketing to marginalised communities, because when you're marketing to, there's this level of separation. But when you're including the communities within the brand teams and the services and the products at every level, then you can start to create a campaign that's inclusive and 
will therefore appeal to the communities we might be thinking of. Mm. Um, uh, yes, I suppose there are products and services that are just for certain communities, but I feel some of the best examples are when communities are included without the product or campaign being specifically for them. Um, and I know that a lot of big companies struggle with it because um, like the, the company culture, workforces and history is kind of the opposite of the direction we're heading, like having boardrooms for white cisgender men and hiring and promotion practices being outdated. And then it becomes kind of harder to appear genuine or to accurately represent marginalized groups when there are so few within the organization. Mm. So I think that sometimes smaller, newer companies such as ethical clothing brands like Lucy and Yak or Little Green Radicals, where they've founded the brands with an inclusive culture and an ethical viewpoint from the start. So Lucy and Yak is one of my favorite clothing brands because it's one of the few brands that's comfortable for autistic people as well as being nice to look at. And I remember when I first discovered them thinking, wow, this is the ideal clothing for an autistic person. How has someone finally made a pair of trousers that fits me and is colorful like a child outfit? Perfect. Um, and then during Neurodiversity Celebration Week, the company posted uh, content online celebrating their neurodivergent staff members. And there was a guest blog from an autistic influencer. And then loads of autistic people commenting, saying, oh, I love these clothes. And I thought, of course, this company were able to make clothes that appeal to me as an autistic person with autistic needs because they had autistic people making their clothes. Um, and they had disabled and gender and racially diverse people of all sizes modeling the clothes online. And so they attracted customers from these marginalized communities too. And in this sense, the community, the company culture and intention really is a huge factor in the marketing and how it's received. Mm. Actually then we, we should definitely stick on uh, with you Abigail for this next question because that does go to the heart of what we've been talking about today which is is it ever possible at all I suspect I know the answer to this is it ever possible to market effectively to marginalized communities unless we have those representatives of those communities within our own organizations I don't believe it is in fact it can be quite it can become quite dangerous which I've witnessed firsthand um, as an autistic person seeing various campaigns ads and online conversation around for example autism awareness day and month now at first glance you'd think that the awareness month would be a positive thing to bring attention to autism but actually within the autistic community a lot of people end up dreading the month knowing that misinformation is being perpetuated by individuals and organizations who don't have autistic people's interests at heart and who don't have autistic people at the heart of their organizations um, for example uh, the company autism speaks um, ran a, a campaign called light it up blue uh, a while back where landmarks across the world are turned blue to create awareness around autism and every year people are invited to wear blue share a puzzle piece online um, but actually Autism Speaks is a company that's spoken over autistic people for years and has kind of driven fear around autism, calling it a crisis. And in their 2009 uh, campaign video, they stated it, it worked faster mm. than pediatric AIDS, cancer and diabetes combined. Um, and if you kind of look into the company, you find that 
only 4% of their budget goes towards helping autistic people, but 22% is spent on fundraising to end autism, um, like researching to find a cure and stuff. And most importantly, there is not one member of their board who is autistic. So they're trying to make decisions regarding the future of autistic people without consulting any individuals who are autistic. And the marketing campaigns um, also use language and symbols that offend autistic people, like the puzzle piece, which is not liked by the autistic mm. community. But then non-autistic people continue to share the content because they don't know any better and they haven't they haven't seen, they don't know because they're not within the community and they're being presented with all this marketing stuff that they think sounds good. But if you really want to support autistic people and understand, then you need to follow companies led by those autistic people. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned yeah. something there, which I think is really interesting, is the idea that, you know, people who don't, who aren't within those communities, they, even with the best will in the world, they want, they might want to support those communities, but they don't have the knowledge of how to do that effectively. So if marketing is created that doesn't reflect that, they might get the wrong idea themselves and through no fault of their own end up yeah. Yeah, kind of continuing those misperceptions. And yeah, so and it's not always from it's not always a bad intention if mm. um if miscommunication is out there. Um and I saw right back at the start of Abigail's answer, Victoria, you were nodding quite vigorously there. So is it ever really possible to, I suppose, to to speak effectively and authentically to communities unless you have people who are you know whether that's internally or externally who you are talking to who are members of those communities and can advise on the marketing strategy no I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> okay fine yeah yeah we can just move on how can it be it's like no. me saying i know what it is like to live in uh the bahamas mm. you know but i've never lived there well then how can i possibly know what it's like it, it it's just it's it's sort of yeah it's just not possible it's like even with good intentions if you don't get real insight and understanding from people then you can't possibly represent them accurately um and all good advertising and communication should be based on real genuine insight all so you know and we know that the really that what's good is based on genuine insight because that's what makes it resonant with people. That's mm. what makes people, you know, because they recognise a truth in there, they see it. And so, you know, this is no different. Um, I think, I think um, you know, it, ideally agencies and production companies and, and brand companies would, would have, you know, a, a workforce that is a reflection of the society that they're serving, a true reflection. Um, that should be our objective, like 100% it should be our objective. And, you know, um, and, you know, it, but also I do I totally agree with what Thomas was saying in terms of, and we do this a lot, Ogilvy, um, is, you know, um, making sure that we are consulting and doing research groups with people, you know, it, to make sure that we are not making an assumption and that we are not, you know, and and I've I don't think I've ever done one of those and not found out something that we would otherwise have missed had we not taken the time to consult with people and to open up the discussion. So instead of open asking closed questions, opening asking open questions because I think a lot of people go into these things assuming they know the answers. Mm. I suppose like any good, you know, research or insight, you have to be open-minded to, you have to go in thinking, I may not know. 
the answer to this. Um, and I think, you know, so then the responsibility is on us and clients to make sure we do make the time and, and we do we do it. Um, and it's hard. I mean, I, I think I'm, you know, we at the moment um, at Ogilvy and WPP are, uh, have commissioned a huge piece of research um, about the BAME community. And I, and I, I always hesitate to use the word BAME because I know that some people find that just as irritating as other words because it is sort of lumping a group of incredibly different people all together but anyway, it is used so um we are doing that a piece of research and we uh wanted to use three thousand people from different um uh sections within the community so whether that's sort of you know caribbean um sort of british or southeast asian um you know um and it has we couldn't no research company could give us that the segments they didn't have them they did not have enough people that they were in mm. contact with in on any of their panels to be able to allow us to do that piece of research so it has required them to go out and find these people and i was so shocked by that and then i thought how terribly naive of you mm. victoria for being shocked because that is a perfect representation of what you see every day which is you know that no one has made the effort to connect with the community to get make sure that they are represented in these mm. panels and really people do want to have their voices heard they do want to have their opinions shared so you know it just means that someone's have to go out and recruit and we have a representative group now and that research which is coming out next year which is about attitudes to brands um I, I think I haven't, you know, it's in field at the moment will be really, really interesting. And I hope will be something that will really allow us to make better work with our clients. And that is a sort of real thing that we can do. But but yes, I suppose the, the big learning for me was how bad it was, how hard yeah. it was to get that scaled up research. Because 3000 people is not a lot of people really in the grand scheme of things, is it? No. And when you're saying, you know, that breaks down into 200 people who come from, you know, I don't know, who are sort of Afro-Caribbean or so, you know, 200 people who come from, you know, uh, East Africa, like, it, it, they're not huge segments. You've kind of exposed the scale up there. We don't even have the framework in a lot of cases to think about how we're thinking about it. No. So, um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, Thomas, before you mentioned the idea that you you do have, you know a lot of people who are almost independent or kind of the contractors you can bring in to, I suppose, advise. So is that potentially a solution to, well, not a solution, because obviously we wouldn't, for, but an option for kind of smaller agencies who don't necessarily employ, you know, impossible to employ representatives from every group. Absolutely. I mean, we um, set up the community hubs, as we call them, and the community ambassadors with the aim of being able to uh, to do two, two things. One is to advise us and be able to uh, assist. And as uh, Victoria said, being able to have a chance to provide us with the insights. Uh, but equally, at the same time, is when we do a campaigns on a, a sort of more local um, scale, is to be able to actually go out and be seen and be able to take this campaign offline in a lot of cases and be able to say, look, let's organize events, let's go into community centers, let's go and be um, where the community is. And this approach gave us the, the chance of really do grassroots um, marketing, uh, which is something that 
I think for a lot of brands has been forgotten uh, mm. years ago because digital came in and, you know, through digital, we can do everything. Uh, but actually, when it comes to certain communities, you really have to do the legwork. You really have to get down uh, on your knees almost and really try to find them, to talk to them and be able to uh, have a sort of conversation one to one basis. Uh, but those conversations turn into so meaningful um, representations, but also uh, such a good ways of being able to uh, sort of sell in a product or promote the product. Um, and with certain groups, you also find that by speaking to one person and informing them, he or she will then go out and spread their news to another 15, 20. Um, especially in the South Asian communities, they have got their own face, uh, Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups. And the moment you are able to tap into those, you're tapping into tens of thousands of individuals that you previously wouldn't have been able to if you haven't identified those community um, champions, community uh, sort of representatives um we, we give them different names i mean we we sort of have got different criteria and hierarchy uh, but somebody who is of a, a certain um status within the community we would call them a key person of influence mm. because uh, very often um people who are very new to the country would go to them asking for advice asking for approval on things um so even when they're looking to change a provider uh, of internet or, uh, mm. or even gas they would very often go to them and say look it's all new to me who would you recommend you know who do you think is good or i've seen this do you think this company's trustworthy uh so it's you know, having this kind of connection really gives you the options. But going back to your questions, yes, yeah, certainly, if you haven't got the in-house knowledge, uh, either do one of the two things, either partner with an agency that has got the skills and is able to do it and is able to be an extension. And we have worked with a number of uh, mainstream agencies on different projects where we've been brought in as an extension to their team and worked alongside of them. So don't see uh, a smaller agencies as potentially competitors uh, or even people that can't do your work. Um, very often they're specializing in such a niche area um, that you don't even want to get into, uh, but partnering with them is a great opportunity. And secondly, uh, if you don't want to partner with an agency, identify uh, you know, people who might be able to help you and provide you with those insights and everything else, um, and be able to test the campaigns and uh, give you that sort of flavor and, uh, it, you know, not just necessary insights, but the cultural differences and uh, the know-how that you don't have. And as sort of Victoria said with the Bahamas kind of examples, we can all assume for something, we can all um, think of something and, and come up with a solution. But unfortunately, unless we come from that background or we're present of those groups, uh, there's sometimes such a little things that can be a, a deal breakers. And if you don't include those deal little breakers, your campaign could go from being amazing to being absolutely rubbish. Yeah, no, definitely. And I suppose that that goes back to what we said at the start. You know, you for marketing to be effective, it has to be authentic and representative. And that's exactly how you go about that. And absolutely. so I want to keep in as much of this as we possibly can. So just for a very final question, if we could just in a, I suppose, a sentence or two, um, Explain whether we feel like we're optimistic that we're going to be having a, this conversation or similar conversations in you know five, 10 years, whether that is, you know, yes, absolutely we will because it's an ongoing conversation or, you know, no, we think it will have moved on by then. So uh, Abigail, to begin with, then I wondered, you know, are you optimistic that we'll be having this conversation again in five, 10 years or do you think we'll have moved on? Um, I think it's not something that can be ignored or sidestepped anymore. Like brands can't get away with just posting a black square or a rainbow logo and then going back to the usual content plan anymore. But 
it's also extremely likely that we will be having this conversation. Like the sad thing is it often takes an incident to happen before people stop and what they're doing and say, that shouldn't have happened. Is this still happening in 21 or in 31? And we act shocked that mistakes are still being made and we start to take notice and things happen, but then online conversations die down and people go back to old habits. Um, but yeah, as we were saying before, we need to overhaul the whole company way of working and build diverse teams and brands and companies from the ground up because that does the work and you have to do that sort of work to get the results. Mm. Yeah, it's not like you said, it's it's you've got to put that work in. It's not something you can just, like you said, throw that rainbow square up on your social feed or whatever and just call it a done day. Um, and yeah. so, Victoria, do you feel like we're going to be here again five, ten years' time? Mm, I wish we, uh, I think things are getting better. I hope we're not. I really hope we're not because mm. it's depressing that as a, as a, as a world that we have changed so little in some ways I guess um but um I think it's important that we do keep the discussion going because that is the only way that it's going to change so you know what maybe it's maybe it would be a good thing if we're here in five years time because there's always is it, will it be perfect no probably not will we need to keep agitating things get better absolutely um you know but so yeah I think um we just have to use our voices to make things better don't we that's that's a really nice way of reframing it. Are you optimistic that we will be back here in in five ten years? Because it means we're still <laughs> concentrating on it. And so, Thomas, for the final word, then are you are you sort of confident that the industry is moving in the right direction in terms of making sure that we are representing marginalised communities better, both internally and externally? I think I can only echo with what both Abigail and Victoria said. I think we're going to be back in this room having this conversation, um, only to hopefully review and, and learn from their previous campaigns and how we can take things forward even better. Mm. Uh, or at least that's my hope. Um, I think the marketing and the market is changing and the brands are starting to realize they need to do some catching up. Um, but unfortunately, the world is changing a lot faster than brands are. And I think we need to have another sort of wave of uh, newer marketeers, people who mm. come in from those backgrounds to be able to really shape um, the future. Uh, so as much as I want to say, uh, you know, I don't want to meet again and, and discuss this, I think we will have to, but we will meet for two reasons. A is to see how others have done and what can we learn from them and B, how we can continue improving and uh, strive to do better. Fantastic. Well, thank the three of you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I know that our audience was really interested in the Marketing to the Marginalized Deep Dive we did, so hopefully this will act as a bit of a wash-up. And for those of you who haven't read the Deep Dive yet, please do go back and check that all out, because there are expansions on almost everything that we've spoken about today in there. But Thomas, Victoria and Abigail, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and discuss this. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for asking.